Well, good morning, Sailorville. If you brought a copy of Scripture with you this morning, you can find the book of Titus, the very end of chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, as we continue in our series, Saving Grace, Changing Grace, The Mighty Grace of God, which is the title of this message. And we really come to what is the central part of this book. And this passage is very dear to me. And as much as I wish I could do more justice to it this morning, I'm anxious to get into it uh, just the same. Titus chapter 2. Before I became a Christian, and even in the first uh, uh, several weeks of uh, my salvation, I was uh, addicted to two different substances. Uh, one was THC, otherwise known as pot. And uh, I, uh, God would take that out of my life very powerfully just a, a couple of weeks after I became a Christian. But probably my greater addiction was, was nicotine. I was a heavy, heavy smoker. I'm looking over at Randy Charlton here. I used to, he worked about 10 feet from me, and I'd flip cigarettes toward him all the time when we worked at John Deere. You remember that, don't you, Randy? Hit him a few times, I might add. Uh, but uh, that, was a, that was a serious, serious addiction of mine. And uh, it really took about a month before I was able to rid myself of, of it. And it was all by the grace of God. And here's what happened. Uh, I was actually, um, I had gotten, I was a two-pack-a-dayer. If I had two cigarettes left in my second pack, I'd had a pretty good day. And that's not an exaggeration. So I was trying to quit pretty much on my own. And I'll tell you what, if, if you're addicted to, to nicotine, uh, just get it down to one cigarette a day and you'll know how addicted you are. Your whole day is driven to that one point when you get that one cigarette. And so I was actually, it's toward the end of the day, uh, and uh, my wife didn't even know I was having one cigarette a day. So what I did was I, I said, I'm going to go fill up the car, which I was going to fill up the car, but that really wasn't my motivation. I was going to go to my father-in-law's house and bum a cigarette off of him. I was literally driving up Baltimore in Waterloo about a mile to my, my, my father-in-law's house and just miserable about what I was doing, knowing I was not being, I was not being truthful, I had guile, I was just, I, as I was driving up the hill, I was so miserable about what I was determining to do, I literally pictured the devil himself just pulling me toward the house going, just come and get it, come and get it. And as I got to the top of the hill, just about a half a mile from the house, I literally, I verbalized it. I literally said, no, and I turned the car. And without exaggeration, this is what happened to me. In that moment, I felt, I'm using that term purposely, I felt a sudden rush of power and release. I went right back home and never touched another cigarette. Now, why do I share that with you? Well, because it's a cool story, that's why. <laughs> and it is a demonstration of the very text that we're in and the mighty grace of God, often referred to as unmerited favor, but it is so, 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 so very much more than that. It makes sense, though, that we struggle understanding the grace of God. Our whole society is built on the merit system, right? Do well, you get rewarded. Work hard, you get paid more. And yet, as the great, great commentator and Greek uh, scholar D. Edmund Hebert wrote, God's entire program of redemption is rooted in the grace of God. 
Paul could not think of Christian truth and conduct apart from God's grace, and that is so true. So grace, on the other hand, this this word that we just sling around, oft-quoted, most misunderstood, perhaps, of all of the riches that God has to give to us. In fact, there's an acrostic, grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. That probably fits this text better than any of them. It does mean unmerited favor, but it's also the saving, it's, it's, it's saving, it's the saving power of God in salvation, as you'll see here. But it's not just the saving power of God in salvation, it is the sustaining power of God in life. I can prove it to you. For by Grace are you saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. It's not a result of works, lest any man should. That's the saving power of grace. But the Apostle Paul, the same one who said that to the Ephesians, said this when he said, Jesus, I can't take this anymore. I've asked you over and over again, take this malady from me. And Jesus says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your what? Therefore, I will glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may what? Rest upon me. In that text, the power of Christ is a virtual synonym for grace. And that's what I mean when I say it's not only the saving power of God for salvation. It is the sustaining power of God in life itself. And then the text here, if you're with me, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us, or literally, or yeah, training us is a literal translation, to renounce, literally that's to say no, as your NIVs rightly translate it, by the way. Renounce or say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting or looking for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Declare these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise regard you. So, in this, the most comprehensive teaching on the grace of God found anywhere in your New Testament, we discover that grace teaches and so much more. So, let's look for the next few moments at the mighty grace of God from this passage, okay? The first thing is pretty obvious, I would think. It brings salvation to the lost. So here it is. The grace of God has appeared. There it is, bringing salvation. Now, the word appeared is the one you ought to underline. That word occurs three times in this context and only a couple of times outside of it. It's the, it's the word where we get our English word epiphany. You know what an epiphany is, right? I mean, we use that word in, the, in our own common uh, vernacular. We say, I had an epiphany. What are we saying? I had a sudden insight, right? A, oh, a flash of light, a, a thought, an inspiration, right? We have them. They don't, they're not even necessarily spiritual. This one is. 
In Bible language, listen, in Bible language, it always refers to something only God can do. It literally means to make an appearance. It happens to us when God, by his grace, flips the light on in our heart. Now, he uses it, you saw he uses it twice, where he says, he says in verse 13, waiting for the blessed hope and the appearing, the epiphany of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And he uses it in chapter 3 and verse 4 as well. Uh, it, it's the word that was used by Simeon, if you'll remember, when Mary and Joseph brought the baby Jesus into the temple eight days after he was born to dedicate him, remember? And Simeon uh, basically took the child, held it up, and he said, and this child, I think we have the verse coming up here, and you, child, will give light, there's the word, to those who sit in darkness. Epiphany. It's when God flips the light on, which he still needs to do in some of your lives. Charles Wesley caught the gist of this when he said, Long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray, right? I woke the dungeon flame with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That is God's salvation on the wings of grace when he flips the light on. For me, it was September 6, 1982, and my life was radically and forever changed. Secondly, the mighty grace of God is universal in its appeal. And please notice, it's, it's the grace of God that has appeared bringing salvation for what? All people. Grace puts salvation, watch it, on display. It says, come to the light. But the gospel universally offered must be personally received, amen? For as many as received him, the word receive means to take in, as many as received him, to them God gives the right, the power, the uh, exousia, that's the word, means the authority to become the the children of God, to those who, what, believe in his name. By the way, that's why churches that claim to know, and they may very well know and actually preach the gospel. There are a few of them out there that don't attach salvation to infant baptism, but they baptize babies anyway, and they just muddle up the gospel is all they do. They just muddle it up. Aside from the fact they don't find any babies getting baptized in Scripture, Baptizing babies, confirming teenagers, just muddles the very gospel that some people believe. This is on display. Now, you might ask, I mean, does, it, does God elect? Yes, chosen in him before the what? The foundation of the world. And yet the grace of God, by the coming of Jesus, calls all men to repent and believe. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul said to the Stoics and Epicureans on Mars Hill and Athens as he, as he concluded his time with them. He said, in the ti your times of ignorance, God overlooked, but now he commands, say it, all people everywhere to what? Repent and believe the gospel. So it is universally, it has a universal appeal. This, Paul said in the first pastoral epistle. He's, he commended them uh, to God. In fact, I'm just going to turn it turn over there real quick. 
I have it written down here, but I think it's a very powerful verse of Scripture. 1 Timothy chapter 4, I think it's in verse 10. Let's see if I got it right. Uh, okay, for to this end we toil and strive because we, are, we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. Now watch it. Especially to those who believe. So it's on display, but especially to those who... See, grace brings light. That's why John 1, 9 says that Jesus was the light that came into the world that, light, uh, that lights every man that comes into the world. And I don't really understand exactly what that means. I just know that at the very least, it means he puts that light on display. The light isn't enough. The light is enough to condemn us because there's light. We can see. It's not enough to convert until we turn to Jesus and trust him as our savior. I remember very well when the light was coming into my life. I remember sitting at a machine at a different place at John Deere. And I remember contemplating the gospel. I remember I'd been studying about the future. I knew that Christ was going to return, which the text talks about. I remember literally, I remember where I sat. I remember looking at the machine. I remember talking to God. I was not a Christian. And I said, God, if Jesus comes back before I trust him, I promise I'll be the best evangelist you can have in the tribulation. You talk about arrogance. I literally prayed that to God. I just thank him for his mercy that kept me alive until I did. Amen? Listen to what Jesus' response might have been to me on that day. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. And some of you are there right this moment. And that's my heart's prayer, that those of you who have been sitting in darkness all of your life, you've been coming to church, you've been coming to church since you were a baby, you've gone to Sunday school, you've gone to youth group, you've been to church, but you're still sitting in the dark. You've got the conformity, but you don't have Christ. And you've never trusted him. And while you have the light, believe in the light. He is the light of the world. And he has universally put it out there for display for people to repent and believe in him. And finally, and for the balance of our time, the mighty grace of God trains those who are saved. And just look at it again. This is a good training us. That's a good translation, by the way. It, the Greek word means to teach a child, it, it's, it's the concept of discipling. You want to know who the best discipler is? The grace of God. It disciples us. It leads us. And it does, it, it, does, it does two things. It teaches us to say no, and it teaches us to say yes. Saying no, that's the word renounced there. We've already mentioned it. If you have an NIV, it's a very literal translation, actually, if you have an NIV. It teaches us to say no to things that bring us down, and yes to the things that lift us up. The two things that bring us down, you see there in, the, in verse 12, are ungodliness and worldly passions. See them? So there's two things to say no verbally. Just everybody just say no. Okay, now you know how to say it. Because grace teaches you to say no. All right? So the first one is, the first no is to ungodliness, which is, listen to this, which is living without a constant awareness of God, okay? If you want to know what ungodliness is, mark it down. It's living without a constant awareness of God. This is the concept of fearing God. 
The word ungodly literally means without reverence. That's all it means. But that doesn't tell anybody anything necessarily. It basically means without awareness. It's the reason why Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, I never go more than 10 minutes in my waking day without an awareness of God. That's a good practice. Just the other day, I was with uh, our Gospel Center Recovery meets every Tuesday night. You're struggling with an addiction uh, or just on the, fl- the other side, backside, middle side. Uh, uh, that's where you need to be, 630, right here at Sailorville Church. I was there and uh, taking it all in. I sat with one of the groups and sat with a few guys who had struggled with addictions and they're all on the upside right now. But one of them was talking about how do, they, how do you stay off of drugs? How do you stay off the liquor? How do you stay off the, uh, the, the drugs? I think they're all into hard drugs so far as I, I could remember. But one of them made this comment. And it was, they, one of them just very zealously goes, the fear of the Lord is the key. And I thought to myself, you got it. The key to saying no is the fear of God, is that constant awareness that he's there. The second no is having to the worldly passions. See that? Saying no, to, and then I'm, I'm saying this, the second no is to pursuing secular passions. That's what worldly passions are. It's just, it's just pleasure. It's basically hedonism. The grace of God, the mighty grace of God rejects hedonism. A hedonistic lifestyle. And if I'm ungodly, I'm bound to become worldly. It's just that simple. If I'm ungodly, I am bound to become worldly or secular. Something that's secular is just something that doesn't have God in it. So when you think of something that's godless, think of the literal meaning of the word. It's godless. No God in it. Okay? And, and you, can't, you can't be neutral. You can't perpetually be neutral if you just have God in nothing. It's not even possible. And so whatever passion I have is the passion I will pursue. That's just the way it is. The good news is grace empowers you to change your passions. Amen? You never fall out of love. Let me mark my words. I didn't, you never, ever fall out of love. You just fall in love with something else or someone else. And the grace of God is that which changes our passions. So you see, grace doesn't just refuse, it refills. Okay? It doesn't just refuse. It doesn't just say no. It says yes, and that's where I'm coming to. So it says yes. The word yes isn't in there, but that's the implication. It says, and to live, there's the yes, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So, so it say, it's saying yes to the things that lift you up. It says no to the things that put you down, yes to the things that lift you up. So yes, the first yes is to, is to living in the light of Jesus' return. It, 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 that's the reason why you should always be thinking about Christ coming again. It's one, of the, it's one of the ways in which you can live in the fear of God, just to know. I mean, just thought of this. 1 John 1, 28 says, And now little children abide in him, so that when he appears, uh, we might have confidence and not be ashamed, the Greek says, away from him at his appearing. Interesting. So living in the light of his return. So he says, live self-controlled, upright, godly lives. So self-controlled, that's inward. Upright, that's outward. 
and godly, that's upward. Okay? Now, how does this work? How does it work? How does grace operate in your life and in mine when it comes to living self-controlled, upright, and godly lives? Okay, so just the other day, I overreacted in a meeting to a certain individual, to a friend. And I did it in front of several other friends. It was a distinct lack of self-control in the moment. It was not upright. It was not godly. And I had a dilemma. Have you ever had one of these? Because what I said was true. How I said it was not. And so then, you know, I mean, I mean, isn't there such thing as righteous indignation? Amen? Yeah, sometimes, rarely. This wasn't one of them. So I had to check that one off. But I thank the Lord that grace was working in my heart. So I met with my friend. We heard each other out. We asked for, I asked for forgiveness. They asked for forgiveness. Given, granted, upright again. You know what that is? That's the grace of God. That is the mighty grace of God. You won't do that in your flesh. It wasn't like I, you know, I, 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 you know, I did a little skip through the loo on home. I can't wait to get and take care of this thing. But God was at work in my life. I can't count the number of people I have confronted over the years. People in this church, some of you in this room, with sins that you've committed, and just watch you start tallying up all the excuses. You know what that is? That's the flesh of men. That's what that is. That's not the grace of God. That's free, by the way. It wasn't even in my notes. In this present age, which implies that there's another yet to come, amen? So uh, when Jesus comes, we're supposed to be practicing until then. Until then, he says, waiting for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's, there's the period. There's the epiphany. Chris Tomlin put it best in the song that we sing. It captured, even so come, right? Like a bride waiting for her groom will be a church ready for you. Every heart longing for our king. We sing, even so, what? Come, Lord Jesus, come. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8 that there is a crown of righteousness that's laid up for those who love his epiphany. So we say yes, first of all, to living in light of Jesus' return, and we say yes to loving in light of Jesus' love. So you see that in verse 14. Who gave himself for us? I mean, that's all we got to write, right? Who gave himself for us? that he might redeem us from every lawless deed or from lawlessness and purify for himself his own special people or his own special possession that are zealous for good works. The word redeem is, is, is only used a, a couple of times. It's a really, really cool word. It literally means to set free from paying a price. By paying a price, rather. To set free by paying a price. Remember back in chapter, in this chapter, 
The context that he's talking to, if you want to pull the context together, look at verse 9. Who's he talking to? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the slaves. That's who he's talking to. So when he uses lutrao, that's the word for redeem, they, they would have gone, holy smokes, he's talking to us. We're free. We're free. The word means to, to set free, to pay a price, and to set someone free, which is exactly what happens when you trust Jesus. And he sets you free from lawlessness. That means no law. That's an ungovernable person. God saves you from a life that's out of control. And did you notice he's called both God and Savior? Did you see that? That's a great, this is a proof text for the deity of Jesus that Jesus Christ is God. You know, he is God and Savior. How cool is it? It, it only refers to Jesus. In fact, the great preacher, A.W. Tozer, uh, was talking about how you can't dice up Jesus. He can't, he's not Savior one day and Lord another. And here's what he wrote. He said, if you will not have Jesus as your Lord, then you do not have Jesus as your Savior. Wow. That's a strong word. Because why? Because he came to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself his own special people. And so you say yes to loving in the light of his love for you. That's what we're going to celebrate here at the Lord's table in a few moments. And lastly, you say yes to working in the light of Jesus' ownership. He, notice he's, he calls us a people of his own possession. You see that there? Which is kind of counterintuitive because he just said we got set free. Okay? So what do you mean? Are we, are we free or are we owned? Yes. We're freely owned by Jesus. Are we possessed? Yes. He saved us to joyfully serve him. And not just to serve him, to do so zealously. See that word? It means, that word means to burn or to boil over. It means exactly what you think it means. But not just zealous. God doesn't just make us zealous. He makes us zealous for what? Let me tell you something. I've always been zealous. You know, it wasn't like I was walking around like Eeyore my whole life and then I got saved. I have always been a zealous person. I was zealous for my sin. I was zealous for self-pleasure. I was zealous for bad works, but I wasn't zealous for God. Jesus made me zealous for good. And that's what he'll do for you. By the way, if, if you were as zealous a saint as you were a sinner, how zealous would you be? Grace talks. What's it saying to you this morning? What's it saying to you? Let me tell you how it worked just the other day. We were in a study with a group of individuals. We were into our third study with another couple. The wife had just come to know Jesus a week earlier. The husband at the beginning of the study was certainly impressed by the changes in his wife, but he says, hey, um, hey, um, 
be patient with me, it's not really clicking just yet, okay? We go, hey, no, hey, that's okay. We're, we, we're, we're patient here. We're, we're just, let's just work through it. He said, okay, great. We, about 45 minutes later, we got to the end of the study, which asked the question, do you have the righteousness of God? And I looked at him, I said, do you have the righteousness of God? And he looked up at us and he goes, yes. And I went, oh, he's not getting it. So I said, okay, when? He goes, I think just now. <laughs> what? Yeah, I think now, I just did it. It's the righteousness of God, that's what I need. And the lights came on. And right there, he openly confessed before God and men that he had trusted Christ as his Savior. Now listen, I can't flip the light on for you. Only God can. But some of you are resisting him right now. And maybe it's starting to click. This is the Lord's table. This represents what the scripture says. He gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself, not for you, not for everybody here, but for himself, is people of his own possession, zealous for good works. Has the light been flipped on for you yet? I'm praying today that it will be a day of salvation for some of you. And you'll say, yes, I get it now. I'm not a Christian. I want the grace of God. And if it's your desire, and he himself is creating that desire in your heart, then believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. May we pray? Our Father, thank you for our time and your word in this wonderful passage of Scripture on your mighty grace, and we thank you for it. I ask, Lord, in Jesus' name, that you would save souls here today. There are people in this room, Lord, that are graceless. They don't understand the grace of God. They know the term. They might even be able to define it. They've never really experienced it because it's a power all of its own. It comes from you. It brings salvation and so many other things. I pray, Lord, in the name of your Son, who gave himself for us, that you would save souls in this room right now. If that's you, dear friend, from your heart, cry out to Jesus. And if you do know him, would you revel in the grace of God and thank you and thank him for allowing you to say no to things that put you down and yes to things that lift you up? It's all God who did that too, so give him the glory. And I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us with that thought. If we, if we were as zealous a saint as we were a sinner, how zealous would we be? May we be zealous, dear God, for your glory and by your grace, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.